Um, the Yoga Sutras are uh, kind of a spiritual psychology and a description of both the nature of what we are and ultimate reality and how we can most effectively, efficiently come into this awareness of our true nature to move past the conditionings of the mind and the fluctuations in the mental field in the field of awareness and come into this realization that is to have experience and knowledge of our true nature and so patanjali has given us uh, uh, many clues and guidelines as to how to proceed in the second chapter of the yoga sutra he talks about the, he defines Kriya Yoga in the first uh, sutra, and he says, Tapas, Swadhyaya, Ishvara, Pranidhana, Kriya Yoga. And so this is Tapas, is intense self-discipline, Swadhyaya, this is self-study, uh, Ishvara, Pranidhana is to uh, release or let go of the sense of separation, the ego, the small self, uh, in order to come into harmony, into experience, into the feeling of oneness with all that is, with ultimate reality. And he says that together, these three things are Kriya Yoga. Kriya is defined as action, and yoga is the bringing together of the attention and awareness with our essence of being. So, this is yoga or samadhi. And, and so these practices, these three um, practices that we can engage in are like the three legs of a tripod and together they help to support us, to allow us to stand firm. So first is tapas, self-discipline, intensive self-discipline. This is to basically uh, make decisions, make choices about what is useful and effective and efficient for us in our life, and then to follow through with what we've observed and what we've decided. So making decisions to do what's useful and avoid what's not useful, and then following through with those choices. This is self-discipline. And tapas also literally is uh, translated as to cook, to heat. And in the same way that we cook our food, we heat our food and cook our food so that it becomes easier to assimilate and it becomes easier for us to metabolize, to turn into ourselves. So in the same way, this cooking, this discipline, helps to allow us to assimilate these processes, these uh, states of mind and consciousness to be calmed down, to be relaxed, to be more introspective, and to see things as they actually are. So this tapas, this cooking, helps to transform, to change us, so that we assimilate the, the good things and we're able to let go of and, and uh, resist the things that are not particularly useful. Swadhyaya, self-study. This is to study the nature of what we are. What am I? And so we do this through uh, reading books like Mr. Davis has given us. Tremendous amount of insight and information regarding the nature of what we are. Uh, studying the Bhagavad Gita and Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So this is study in order to come into the awareness of what we are. 
but also study is to observe what we're doing, how we're thinking and feeling and acting, to observe our vehicle, our character that we're operating through, and to see if there are places in this that need changing. So then we can apply what we observe and what we learn through discipline in order to make the changes. And so in time, what happens is we are able to observe ourselves, observe what we really are, learn about what we really are, observe where the disconnect is, where we're not feeling and experiencing and expressing in ways that we know are in harmony with this, with our true nature, as we're told by our masters and our teachers. So where we see this disconnect, this disharmony, then we make changes in order to bring ourselves back into proper relationship, back into balance and back into harmony with what we intellectually know to be true. So this is a process. And the third aspect, Ishvara Pranidhana, Ishvara um, has several different definitions depending on which school of philosophy you're looking from. But in yoga philosophy, Ishvara is considered to be ultimate reality. So it is the ground of ordering, ordered, expressive aspects of pure conscious, pure awareness. So, so Ishvara is that which emanates and expresses, and also the ordering principle that's built into that expressive aspect. And we are completely, totally part of this process, this expressive process, not separate. And so Ishvara Pranidhana is to feel, to have the sensation, the sense, the experience that I am one with everything, that I am one with the universe, that I am one with this expressive reality. Uh, as Paramahansa Yogananda would say, we are all waves on the ocean of God consciousness. And there is no separation between the wave and the ocean. The ocean is waving. The wave is ocean in expression. So there's no separation. And of course, we have a, a tendency to become identified with our waveness, with our character. And in that identification, we feel ourselves to be separate. So here we are as waves looking around at the other waves, making judgments. Um, these waves are better than I am, or these waves are not nearly as good as I am. They're smaller, they're larger, they're uh, the, the form and the shape. So we look around and we see differences between ourselves and other individuals. We see differences between ourselves and uh, the environment, um, nature, the planet. And so in the judgment and the observation of these differences, we uh, we support this feeling of ego of separation, and so and so Ishvara Pranidhana says, let go of that. Observe what really is, and observe and experience yourself as one with all that is. And in that process, the ego is diminished. It's we let go of it, and we feel ourselves to be whole, complete, and perfect already. So this is this is possible, and this is what. Uh, Patanjali is encouraging us to do. Then he goes on in the next sutra and he says, the second sutra in the second chapter, and he says, we practice Kriya Yoga 
in order to experience samadhi, that is oneness consciousness, so to come into this realization of our true nature, so that's one reason, and the other reason is to remove obstacles, to remove the suffering, to remove all the obstacles to our life that stand in the way of health and happiness and prosperity and fulfillment and all the things that we can experience and that we're put here in order to uh, express. So, so life is not just simply about um, seeing how quickly we can change our states of consciousness to get off the planet, but rather to wake up fully, to be fully mindful, fully conscious, fully awake, and then to live consciously from that state, from that mindful state. And so that we can serve, that we can serve life's purposes, to participate, to uh, engage in whatever action or dharma that that is what we are here to do and the ways that we are designed and uh, created to serve so this is this is the objective so Patanjali says we can through Kriya Yoga we can um, come into this awareness of our true nature of being and we can remove obstacles to our expression to our unlimited free expression so so this is you know pretty good pretty good news and if we go back to chapter one where he's talking about samadhi this oneness consciousness and of course his focus is on allowing the field of awareness that is everything that's coming into our field of awareness to subside to become quiet and so when the mind and awareness mind and consciousness come quiet quiet and we turn the volume down on the noise and the the vrittis the fluctuations when the mind becomes very subtle and very quiet and very peaceful then we have set the set the tone we've created the environment which will allow us to have this experience this realization of our nature and so so he gives quite a bit of attention to what is it that we can do to quiet the mind, to create a state of tranquility in the mental field, in the field of awareness? And, and so one of the things that he recommends, that he suggests, is chanting Om. And he suggests chanting Om verbally, out, out loud, Om, Om. And so this has an effect, a powerful effect, a transformative effect on the physiology and the nervous system. So chanting Om, we can feel the vibration all the way down to the, to the spinal cord and in our chakras and the vital centers. Um, and as we chant verbally, we can do this and, and make sure that we uh, chant the end, the end of the Om Mm, the nasalization because this is where we really feel this resonance inside and so we can just work with that when we're in private om om this also has a a transformative effect on the physiology so as we talked about last week when we are chanting Om and and breathing in this specific way, um, we're actually activating the vagus nerve, which turns on the parasympathetic nervous system, 
which deeply relaxes the whole body and mind and also turns on the immune system, digestion, um, you know, helps to take out the garbage um, and keep everything harmoniously balanced and operating in peak form. So by chanting Om and breathing deeply, uh, yogic breathing, um, we can activate the vagus nerve, turn on the parasympathetic nervous system and support our, our health and well-being. So that can be very useful. But then beyond that, he says also to just listen to Om. So we can just, as we interiorize our attention, we can listen for the sound, the frequency inside, and we listen closely and we will hear something. And as whatever it is that we hear, we can put our attention on that fully and listen intently. So we're actively participating in this process. And as we listen, and we listen with interest and we try to hear where is, what's the source? Where does this come from? What's the origin of this sound? And in this way, we're led deeper within our own awareness. And so, uh, and as we listen, we may hear slight changes. The frequency may change a little here or there, or we may become sensitive to an even deeper level of this own vibration in the background. And, and, and through this process, we just continue to listen and we go deeper and deeper and become more and more identified with this own vibration, with the sound and its origin. And so we're curious and open and receptive. And this process can lead us and lead us until we come to the place where, where we are so focused and so intent on this own vibration that we become fully identified with it. So this is bringing together the attention, the awareness with an object. In this case, the object is OM. And so we become so interested and so completely obsessed with OM that everything else falls away. All thoughts, feelings, memories, everything else subsides. And it becomes very easy to, to uh, to avoid paying attention to them. And as we rest in this own vibration, as we rest in this state where we become identified with it, then we set the stage, we create the environment for the shift in consciousness, the shift in perspective, where we move from the observer and from being identified with OM to this awareness that I am. And that is that I am beyond this own vibration, beyond listening and observing, beyond everything, there is just this state of existence being, pure conscious awareness that I am. And of course, this is our nature. So we are this all the time, all the time since we have been, since we have found ourselves uh, in this body and expressing through this mind and brain, um, we have always been this point of view, the witness, the awareness, pure consciousness. But we become so identified with what's happening in the character and in the world around us and all this interesting stuff that comes in from the senses. And, and so we become so identified with that, so engrossed and enchanted with that, that we forget 
this awareness of our true nature or our self is very subtle. It's very quiet. And so we have to become very quiet, very still, and allow the mind to come clear and disregard the senses. And when we do this, we come into this, this we reopen and become reawakened to this es <coughs> essence of being with our to our true nature as consciousness. Pure consciousness means there is nothing, nothing to uh, taint it. There is no thought. There is no object. There is no past, no future. There is nothing. There is only pure awareness. And of course, this is our nature, and we can move into that space, move into that experience, realize this. And then we stay in this state for as long as we, as long as possible. Um, it comes of its own nature. We can't make it happen. We rest in it. And then eventually the vasanas, these impulses from within, start to become active and thoughts start to bu bubble up and percolate through the mental field. And, and Patanjali says, you know, as soon as this happens, when we're resting in samadhi and oneness consciousness, as soon as thoughts begin to bubble up in the field of awareness, then the seer, the, the witness, the observer becomes identified with the thoughts. So we find ourselves becoming identified once again with a point of view, I am, having this experience, observing this thought, thinking this. And so we become uh, engaged, identified once again. And, and as we notice this happening, if we're sitting and we still have time in our meditation, then we can renew our effort to come back into this awareness and having had the experience, it's easier. We, we, we know what we're looking for. We know what that is that is with us all the time. And it can be much easier to disregard the thoughts, to let the thoughts and the memories and the feelings, to let them go and to just move back in, to allow ourselves to, to move back into this deeper awareness of our true nature. So this is something that we work with and with practice we become uh, better and better, more adept at changing our states of consciousness with intention. So we come, eventually we come to the place where we can just shift our awareness, shift our attention and come back into full realization of our nature. And then as we become in, involved once again in our day-to-day -day activities and take on the role, play this character again, we can always have part of us in the background that's always aware, always awake, that's noticing that we are playing this role, that we are, that we are in the world but not of it, that we are conscious and mindful and awake all the time. So this is possible. And so, so Patanjali encourages us to chant Om and to listen to Om. And he said, what happens is, the effect of this is that it calms the mind and it removes obstacles. So just chanting Om and just listening to Om both calms our mind, relaxes us, and helps to remove obstacles to our mental processes and to our disease. 
And what are these obstacles? He lists quite a few. He says one obstacle is um, physical and mental disease. So if we have actual physical problems, physical disease processes, chanting OM can help bring harmony and balance back to the body. So it can assist in our physical transformation, our physical healing, and our physical well-being. And of course, on the practical level, because it's turning on the parasympathetic nervous system, then it allows the immune system to come into play and allows us to lower the effects of stress. And so, so on a very practical level, chanting OM can help um, um, remove diseases and help keep us uh, help us to be more healthy. Also, on a mental level. Um, chanting OM and listening to OM and becoming identified with OM helps to relax the mind. And the mind oftentimes, for, for many people, can be very uh, agitated and can be very upset and can be anxious and worried and fearful. And so these conditions come up if we're not really paying attention. And if we allow ourselves to be so identified with the circumstances and events and opinions of others, and you know, these days we have a lot of that. So chanting OM can relax the, and allow the thoughts to subside and to come quiet and to become more relaxed. And this will heal, this will help to balance the fear and anxiety and worry and doubt. So, so on a very practical level, chanting OM can be useful. Um, uh, another obstacle that we have is confusion. We don't know what to do. We're not sure about what to do. Now, we have inside, we have um, in intuition. We have knowledge. We know what to do always at the core of our being. We are always given the information, being led, being guided into what is ideal for ourselves and everyone else. So this, this is automatic, but we lose our connection with this. And so because we don't feel connected and we don't have this inner direction that says, this is the right thing for us to do, this is what's useful, and we have no confidence, so then we get confused. So, so confusion can also be uh, healed, can also be removed by just chanting OM, allowing the mental field to come clear, to be relaxed, and allowing our intuition to then come to the surface so we can hear it, we can listen to it, we can begin to trust it. And then that's the next obstacle is doubt, skepticism. Well, this all sounds really good, but how do I know? How can I really know for sure? And of course, if we are able to work with this process to become interiorized, to chant OM, to listen to OM, and to become very mentally very clear, then this tends to remove doubt because we have this experience. Whatever is being said is intellectual, but having the experience, that is to have this sensation, the feeling that goes along with the knowledge, this removes the doubt and removes the skepticism. Another obstacle is carelessness. So we're not paying attention. We, you know, we sort of, uh, we sort of drift through life and we're not paying particular attention and we're not um, seeing to doing what we need to do 
in the most efficient and effective way. And so, so this is kind of carelessness and it goes along with the next one, which is laziness, lethargy. So, so by setting our intention and sitting down and chanting Om and listening to Om and becoming disciplined with this, doing this with intention so this this requires we focus our focus our attention and we be intentional and so this kind of removes this laziness and this carelessness so if we do this it will it will give us some confidence and give us some experience in in following through with what our intention is in doing something intentionally mindfully and carefully with attention Another obstacle to our tranquil mind, another obstacle to our uh, ability to quiet and calm down the mental field, the field of awareness, is too much information from the senses, too much identification with what we get from the senses. We, we become enamored with sensations. So wonderful food and, uh, you know, interaction and doing this and doing that. So, so too much, uh, too much listening to music and too much, uh, you know, watching movies and too much of this and too much of that. All this sensory input, it really creates an obstacle to a quiet, peaceful mind. And so, and so once again, if we take time away from all that and rest in this awareness and chant home and listen to home for some time, and this tends to create a, a condition of inner peace and balance and harmony. And this is pleasurable. And this pleasure is, uh, doesn't change like the pleasure from the senses. The pleasure that comes from the senses is constantly, you know, we have a little, a little uh, squirt of dopamine and we feel good and we're happy. And then that goes away. And then we have to do something in order to feel good again. So we're constantly chasing one thing after another through the senses in order to feel calm and peaceful and happy. By chanting Om, we come into this natural happiness, this natural peace, and it doesn't go away. It stays with us until we become distracted again, of course. So, so this helps to um turn down the volume on the the need the the uh, impulses to involve the senses all the time and then another obstacle is delusion so delusion is just not seeing what really is there is to be um totally missing the point to somehow be superimposing some ideas and beliefs and things that are just crazy on top of reality. And so there is this thing called an expectation effect and the expectation effect says that we pretty much get what we're looking for. We pretty much, you know, we pretty much see whatever it is we expect to see and if what we're what we're the, the information that's coming in is not in harmony with our expectation then we don't see it. Then we disregard it. And so we're not accurate. So, so this uh, delusion and the erroneous perception, this also can be somewhat neutralized by chanting and listening to Om. So we come into this experience where we are chanting and we're having this inner experience and it's exactly what it is. We are perceiving it accurately and directly. 
And our ability to discern the buddhi, the discriminative aspect of our citta, of our field of awareness, knows the difference between what's real and what's not real. And so by experiencing, resting in the own vibration and experiencing what is real, we strengthen this discernment, this discrimination, so that it becomes more activated, more available. And that allows us then to be more discerning and discriminating when it comes to, um, to our day-to-day activity, to what's happening in the world. And so, so once again, um, chanting OM can help move us into this deeper level of awareness. And then uh, another obstacle that he talks about is, is falling from our desired state. We come into the state of awareness, into the state of consciousness, and then we find that we're, we're drawn back into the mind and back into the fluctuations and identified once again with the, the, the processes that are going on in this field of awareness. And so once again, we can just go back to listening to Aum, chanting Aum, and this will help bring us back, open us back up, allow us to have this experience of being once again. So this is another benefit from home. We can come back to it again and again. And, and finally, uh, the last obstacle he talks about is instability. That is that, we're, that we can't maintain stable uh, practice, stable consciousness, stable awareness, that we wobble. You know, there's an old Zen saying that when you walk, walk, when you sit, sit, but don't wobble. So, so um, if we find ourselves wobbling and we're unable, unable to sustain um, our practice and our states of consciousness, then once again, practicing, just chanting and listening to Om, 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 Om will help to ground us and help to create this stability, help to keep us anchored so that we can move forward in a very grounded, conscious way. And, and then Patanjali goes on to explain, he says, the evidence, what we see in a distracted mind, the mind that is not focused, that is not clear, that is not present, um, has several characteristics. Um, uh, the, the restless mind, the distracted mind, is, experiences or exhibits panic, anxiety, uh, feels anguish. It, it can't find peace. There's no peace of mind. There's always upset and always uh, considerations and second guessing. Gosh, did I do this right? Did I do this enough? Uh, did I make the right choice? There's always this upset, this inner conflict. and and shaking of the body, even when we get so upset that the body is actually shaking, vibrating, uh, and nervousness. This is, these are all indications, senses that the mind is distracted and completely identified. And we also observe breathing disorder. We see that um, the breath comes quickly when we're, when we're panicking, when we're fearful, when we're not sure. The breath tends to come more quickly, and the quick breath tends to activate the mental processes, so the mind is more activated, and the mind being more activated causes the breath to be more agitated. These things work together. 
And as we relax, if we sit and chant Om, or just watch the breath as we relax and become interiorized, then what happens is the breath starts to quiet down. We can breathe deeply, yogically, that is to fill the lungs all the way to the bottom. The tendency for many people is to, is to keep breathing from the upper lobes of the lungs, shallow, but we can breathe deeply, diaphragmatic breathing and fill the lungs all the way to the bottom, get the oxygen all the way in here flowing and then out. So we deep breathe and, and practice and learn to breathe fully all the time. And then as we chant Om, we're breathing deeply, we're oxygenating the blood, we're helping to keep this, the parasympathetic nervous system turned on, and we're becoming deeply relaxed. And the, the whole body, the whole system then becomes, starts to move in an optimal way. So the immune system is turned on, Intern, in, in our internal uh, systems are all balanced and harmonized, and it's wonderful. So, so we can, so we're recommend, it's recommended that we do this. We actually, you know, take the time to chant Om, to listen to Om, and to allow ourselves to become tranquil and balanced. And this will then set the stage, create the environment for our continued awakening process, for moving completely in harmony with life, for being happy and healthy and prosperous and fulfilled, peaceful, content, all these things that are possible for us that should be part of our natural condition. You see, this is how we're designed to be. And if we're not, then here is the textbook. Here is, here's the guidelines that tell us how to come back into this experience of being that is optimum, optimal for ourselves. So, so I think that's enough for this morning um, for me. Uh, if there are any questions, you can raise your hand or uh, unmute yourself. Uh, question, would you recommend chanting OM while doing daily activities? It depends, you know, if you're doing uh, something repetitive, um, you know, or planting in the garden or doing something, uh, walking. Um, so some of these things, uh, they lend themselves very well to a mantra or chanting OM, uh, whether it's, you know, internally or whether we're doing it out loud. We can always take a break just for a couple of minutes if we're by ourselves, if we're not in the, you know, in the middle of Walmart or something, but yeah, if we're by ourselves, we can always just sit for a couple of minutes and just chant OM and allow ourselves to get back into that grounded experience, to that feeling. It doesn't take long, it just takes a minute or two. And as we practice, it becomes easier and easier and pretty soon we can just, we can just make that shift instantly. So, so when we're doing our daily activities, there are some things, um, you know, when I'm preparing supper and chopping my vegetables and chopping, 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 cutting, cutting, chopping, chopping, I find it's very convenient to be, have my mantra, have my, my little chant going on. So, but when I have to figure out the, the instant pot and which buttons to push in order to get it to do what I need it to do to cook, then I can't be chanting. I have to be paying attention. So, so it depends on what we're doing. 
We want to be attentive when we need to be attentive and mindful all the time. And when we have repetitive actions, activities that lend themselves, then certainly we can use uh, chant OM or some mantra, whatever is uh, useful for us.